Welcome to another episode of Search News You Can Use with me, Dr. Marie Haynes. I'm recording this episode on Wednesday, October 30th of 2019, and although we've got a lot of stuff to cover, it's probably not going to be as long as our last episode. Um, our last episode, we recapped everything that Gary Ish said at PubCon in Vegas, uh, which made it a very long episode, but if you haven't listened to it, it's one of my favorite ones that we've done so far, and I would highly recommend it. In this episode, episode, we're going to talk about BERT. You've probably heard this term that uh, Google has come out with something new that is a real game changer in terms of search. And so I'm going to give you my thoughts on BERT. I'm by no means an expert on BERT, uh, but I've been collecting all of the things that Google has said, and I'll give you my thoughts on what that means in terms of SEO. Um, we'll talk about uh, a potential update and whether or not it's connected to BERT and a great number of other things. We have some really good questions that I want to get to in this episode as well. Uh, one of them is talking about how to identify whether you have thin content um, and also how impactful URL structure can be on rankings. So stay tuned. I'm going to answer those questions at the end of this episode. So let's talk first about algorithm updates. October 21st is something we're going to call a minor update. Um, we saw a number of clients that saw a, a bit of an increase on October 21st. We had a couple of clients that saw decreases as well, but the majority of them, thankfully, uh, that saw changes were increases um, in Google organic traffic. Now, um, uh, maybe I should talk about BERT first. I will get back to BERT. This whole change that Google has made in their algorithms may have rolled out coincidental to uh, this change that we're seeing October 21st. Um, we don't think that the changes that we're seeing are connected to BERT, and I'll go into that in a little bit more detail shortly. Uh, I think it's more likely that Google has made uh, another tweak to how they assess quality. When I looked at the sites, our clients that have actually seen nice improvements uh, with um, uh, October 21st, maybe even the day or two uh, longer than that, um, what we did was look across, uh, look to see which keywords are actually seeing improvements. Um, because the theory is that if it was connected to BERT, uh, BERT is basically Google's way of understanding queries even better. Um, then uh, a site may potentially be seeing more traffic because Google has been able to understand people's long tail queries. Um, and what we're seeing in these sites that have seen improvements is that they actually are seeing improvements across the board, uh, even rankings for short tail queries, um, meaning queries that are very important, uh, usually short words, but something that is very competitive. Um, in, from what I understand about BERT, uh, this really shouldn't be the case. So I'm going to go into that in more detail in uh, just a few minutes here. Um, so we think that when there is one of these tweaks to quality, uh, there's one of two things that could happen. Either a site has made some changes and Google has reassessed the site to say, oh, you know, this is actually a high quality site now or whatever feature of the site was uh, potentially considering causing Google to consider you lower quality has been fixed. That's one possibility. What probably is more likely is uh, in this case uh, for our clients that we're seeing is that Google has actually just made some changes to their algorithm. So as opposed to saying, hey, all of our clients that made these changes are seeing improvements. Rather, Google may say, well, you know, 
uh, we used to consider this an issue, and now we're going to soften things a little bit. And I know that's a very non-programmer's view of how Google makes changes to the algorithm. Um, But my main point that I'm trying to make is that... um, these sites that are seeing improvements may be improved because Google has softened uh, what they did on June 3rd. Uh, June 3rd, as you probably know, was a very large update. It was a core update that Google announced. And um, we really believe that one of the key components to this algorithm update was Google's ability to determine whether medical content is in line with current scientific consensus. There's a lot of controversy over this, uh, but we see it time and time again that the sites that are coming to us saying that they were hit on June 3rd and severely hit. A large number of those are alternative medicine sites and not crazy sites that are talking about, hey, take this bizarre, you know, carrots can cure cancer type thing, Um, but really sites that provide good value for people who are searching for alternative treatments, uh, you know, beyond the mainstream treatments for medicine. Um, One of these sites that uh, was hit hard, now they're not clients of ours, uh, but but I think it's still important to talk about is examine.com. From what I can see on examine.com, they have really good content. And what they do is they talk about, hey, this particular type of new out there treatment that's getting some uh, attention in the press, here's all the science behind it. um, And here's our take on this type of thing. Now, I think that Google, whatever they released on June 3rd, looked at this site and they could say, look, this site is continually talking about alternative medicine topics. And so we don't really trust it. I feel that it's possible that Google has softened their algorithms to be able to recognize that although this site is talking about alternative medicine topics, they're actually telling both sides of the story. They're not giving information that is dangerous to people. Um, And, you know, maybe they have made some changes in um, how they present some things, but really, the way it looks to me, I don't think there's been a lot of changes made on the website. Now, this site was hit hard June 3rd and seems to have made a complete recovery from their June 3rd hits. With that said, they were still hit hard previous to that in March, and uh, they have not recovered from that. So we haven't done a full assessment of this site or really any assessment other than me spending a a little bit of time looking at it. Uh, But it's a pretty good example of um, a site that was hit hard because, probably because of scientific consensus issues. And then as Google gets better at determining uh, whether um, they really are in line with scientific consensus or whether they're potentially doing harm to people, uh, you know, maybe Google was able to say, actually, the site is not that bad. It's got some good information. Um, so where should we go uh, from that? I think um, let's start talking about BERT a little bit. So you've probably heard of this BERT uh, thing. It's short for a big, long uh, thing that I will probably never remember. Bidirectional encoder representations from transformers. Uh, gosh, that's a, that's a mouthful. Um, the way I understand BERT is what Google is doing here is getting better at understanding users' queries. What we don't know is whether they're applying BERT to be better at understanding of our pages as well. And who knows, maybe the examine.com situation, maybe this is what happened, that uh, Google was better able to say, well, you know, they're not just talking about alternative medicine topics, um, but if we look at things in the grand scheme of things, and now that we have 
Bert and we can analyze, uh, you know, the actual sentences that they're saying, um, we can see that they're, they're not promoting all of these alternative medicine treatments. They're actually giving an unbiased opinion. I'm totally uh, spitballing here. Um, you know, don't go quoting me on this, but this is my understanding of what could potentially be happening here. So, BERT, um, Google gave a bunch of examples of queries and the results that they would show before BERT and also after BERT. I have a really, really good example of something I was searching for just uh, a week or two ago before BERT was in the algorithm and uh, how the results are different now than what they were at that time. So I went on this kind of philosophical journey and the reasons don't really matter. Um, I did a Google search late one night for why do people worry so much about what others think about them or why do people why do people care that's what it was why do people care so much about what others think about them now this is, has nothing to do with seos it has nothing to do with any of you who are listening to this podcast i was starting to um, most of you know i have a medical background and um i was really trying to understand what happens in our bodies when we worry uh you know are there neurotransmitters that uh release chemicals that you know there's a lot of the time there's no physiological reason for us to worry uh, about, especially about what other people think about us. Um, and so this is not a philosophical podcast, and I'm not going to go down that road anymore um, in terms of this podcast. But this is the interesting part. So the search was, why do people care so much about what others think about them? The results that I got two weeks ago were essentially for why do people care? And it was the basis of how we can uh, have empathy and why people have the ability to care for others. But that's not what I wanted to know. Now, when I do that search, the results that I get are very clearly why we care about what other people think about us. Um, and so Google has gotten better at figuring out that, okay, my search was uh, about much, much more than just why do people care. And it seems that Google is getting better at uh, determining sentences that use the word about, feel free to make fun of my Canadian accent, um, or use the words for, or, uh, you know, some type of preposition, basically. So um, this is important because uh, it makes Google better able to understand queries, which means that they can produce better results, which means that people will use Google more. And I think this is really important for voice searches. Um, it happens so often that we uh, say, hey, uh, Google, tell me uh, why does this happen? And Google gives us a result that makes no sense. Um, and so we're going to play around with that. Probably my kids and I will be playing around with that a bit more, uh, seeing if Google can now that they can recognize more queries, they give me better uh, results that better answer my questions. So the question that we have as SEOs is what do we do about this? Um, and I have seen a lot of people talking about how there are all these posts out there on how to optimize for BERT. Um, I haven't seen any of these posts. So, you know, I'm, I'm not sure uh, if people are writing posts on how to optimize for BERT. Really, uh, this comes down to the thing that Google always says when you ask them, how do we rank better? They say, create great content. And I know that seems kind of vague and a little bit, um, 
Oh, gosh, you know, it, it, it seems like it's not uh, a serious answer. Um, but really, that's the answer here. Uh, and so I would urge you, we've written stuff in our newsletter in the past uh, about how to determine what questions people have about your topics. And if you have a blog post about a particular topic, what you can do is look at your search console data and see what keywords are actually, uh, is your content ranking for. And let's say your content is ranking, you have a page on, you know, the best green widgets and you're seeing that you're actually ranking say near the bottom of page one for um, what color of green widgets is the most popular well in the past you know Google may not have been able to fully understand that. Um, and now, if you have a paragraph on your website on that page uh, that has an H tag that says, what color of this widget is the most popular? And then you answer that question you're much more likely to rank for that. Um, and so I think Google is getting better at picking out which parts of blog posts are appropriate to uh, show to users. Um, so I don't think there's a very specific thing that we can say, oh, if you were affected by BERT, then you should be doing this. Uh, it's too early. Um, even the sites, you know, like I've seen people say, well, there was some type of an update, like we said, in uh, October 21st to 24th or so. And that was the time that apparently BERT started rolling out. Um, and so uh, that means that the changes that we're seeing must be connected to BERT. I don't know. I don't know if that's the case. So these are a lot of I don't knows. And as everything, uh, as we've dealt with everything that's new in SEO, what we want to do is sort of just listen, uh, keep an eye out for everything that Google says on the subject. Um, and every time they say something that gives us a little bit of a clue as to, ah, we could maybe tweak our content in this way, or uh, we could start producing this type of content, um, then we'll, uh, you know, we'll talk about that in our newsletter. So uh, again, our goals are not to be complete BERT experts, but uh, to listen to everything that both Google is saying and also the people who are known and have been studying uh, BERT for a long, long time. Um, I'm going to be paying attention to them as well. So here is the rundown on what you need to know about BERT. Uh, and these are taken from Google's blog post, which we've linked to in newsletter. This is episode number 106 by the way, um, and uh, also um, some tweets from Google employees as well. So the BERT change that they implemented impacts one in 10 queries. That is huge. Uh, and, and, and this is probably connected to the fact that there are so many long tail queries um, that, you know, the search ranking tools don't always measure. This is important because we'll look at sites, and if you look at your competitors in a tool like SEMrush, and you say, oh, well, they weren't affected by BERT because their rankings or their traffic estimates on SEMrush actually went up. Well, SEMrush is not going to be tracking, you know, millions of long tail queries that, especially the ones that are new to a site every day. So this is going to be a hard thing to track for competitors. Um, BERT is rolling out right now in English language queries uh, and other languages in the future. Although one thing that Google did say is that if your language and your country currently has featured snippets, then BERT is a component of those featured snippets now. Uh, and that to me speaks to voice uh, because we know that the featured snippets are often the things that get read out on voice search. So Google really wants to make it so that their featured snippets do a good job of answering people's questions. Um, so BERT, uh, let's see, it is designed to help Google understand queries more like a human would. Um, it's not the same thing as RankBrain. Now, RankBrain, when it came out, uh, was 
kind of the same thing. It was a way for Google to get better at understanding queries. I believe that the example that they gave for Rank Brain would be if I did a search for how to win at Mario Kart without cheat codes, Google would previously show us how to win at Mario Kart with cheat codes. It couldn't recognize that without. And Rank Brain got a little bit better at understanding, oh, wait a second, uh, this user wants um, results with without in the, in the query. Um, and so uh, this to me feels like a step up from Rank Brain. And Google has said that Rank Brain is still a part of the algorithm, so it's not like BERT has completely replaced Rank Brain. Um, and then this was the interesting part. BERT is extremely complex. Uh, Google's blog post on BERT says that it pushes the limits of what can be done with traditional hardware. Um, Google's now using cloud TPU pods, which they say are the latest generation of supercomputers that Google themselves have built specifically for machine learning. So this is a big thing. And I think, you know, I, I'm going to get philosophical here again. I, I think that one day, you know, we'll tell our grandchildren, uh, we were around when this first started happening. This is a breakthrough um, in how machines can understand humans and uh, and listen like humans. Uh, so we really need to be paying attention to this. And I think um, that's probably all I'll say in this podcast episode on BERT, uh, but this will not be the last that we talk about it. There's going to be, um, you know, as things happen, we'll, we'll try to get a better understanding of... Um, whether or not this changes how we work as SEOs and how we create content for websites. We're going to move on to a few other things here. Um, have you been feeling the effects of losing rich results enhanced in searches? Uh, so, you know, a few months ago we talked about the fact that uh, uh, Google does not want local businesses to be uh, marking up their self-serving reviews. So if you have a review of your business on your business website, you can't put review stars on it. And um, we've talked about that a lot. Uh, interesting tweet by Thomas Weismer. Um, he said that uh, click-through rate decreased from 5.8% to 4.8% uh, for their particular site after they lost their stars in the search results. Um, now, I mean, this is going to vary greatly for every business, uh, and this is just one example, but um, if you are noticing that you're getting fewer clicks for things like brand searches or comparative searches, then it could be connected to the fact that you're seeing uh, you have less markup, less stars in the SERPs. Um, it looks like Google has been experimenting with thumbnails in the search results. Um, we noted this a little while back, and uh, there was a really great tweet by Morty Oberstein from Rank Ranger, um, where he tweeted that uh, a really nice chart that shows how many thumbnails are uh, in the Google SERPs. Um, and there was a big spike up around October 4th or 5th, and, uh, and then a drop down October 21st interesting that that lines up with, I just realized that, with the date that we said there was an algo update. Um, who knows? Maybe the change in uh, that experiment impacted um, click-throughs to, uh, to some websites. That's something I'm going to have to consider uh, when we do next week's analysis. 
Um, YouTube uh, now has um, in this video timestamps. We talked about this a while back in September, and no- more and more people are seeing it live now. So if you do a search for something and Google wants to surface a YouTube video, now what they're doing is actually showing the parts of the video that uh, allow you to jump to um, the section that is more relevant to your search. And uh, and so that's, that's pretty interesting. Um, I still don't know how I feel about that because, I mean, imagine this podcast. Uh, imagine you were searching for information on Bert and uh, you listened to just that section of the podcast. You're missing all the rest of the podcast, you know, and, and there's a reason why I create this free content. Um, some of it, a big chunk of it is because I just love to talk about SEO and I love to help teach and just to help inform people. Um, but the reality of the, the matter is that we do this to make money. I mean, um, we get business from it and it builds our brand awareness. Uh, and so those of you who potentially just listen to the section on BERT, you don't get to hear about what my business is doing. Um, I'll usually close with, you know, saying how long our waiting list is and, and things like that. And so um, I don't know. I guess there's not much we can do to fight against that. Uh, we just have to hope that our content is good enough that people will want to listen or watch uh, the entire of our content and maybe as Google gives them just little snippets uh, that will be something to entice them to, to listen or watch uh, to more of our content. Um, this was an interesting uh, tweet by Lily Ray uh, talking about how Google chooses timestamps for your page. So our page on algo updates, uh, I haven't checked it recently, but for the longest time, Google just marked it as uh, being written, the timestamp on it, I think was 2013. We update this every single week, and we have done since 2013. Um, and uh, and yet Google would not, we experimented with using uh, different WordPress um uh, basically, pub- we changed the publish date, we changed the updated date, we put the date in the content uh, at the top. Now it says last updated on, which everybody should be doing for important content on your site. Uh, that's something that's in the Quality Raiders guidelines. And so here's what um, Lily said. Great clarification from John Mueller. You can't force Google to show a specific timestamp for your page, date published, date modified, etc., or even to show a timestamp in the first place. This is all all left entirely up to Google. So I do think there are things you can try to do. Um, there's schema as well that can say when an article was created and updated, uh, and but sometimes it just doesn't work. Uh, so if you've been struggling to get Google to recognize a date and you've done all those things that I've mentioned, it may be that Google just does not want to put a date on this content. Um, if you have uh, experimented with this and there's something that has worked for you, I'd love to hear about it. You can tweet at me at Marie underscore score Haynes, H-A-Y-N-E-S. And uh, I'd love to hear what worked for you um, so that I can share that with the other uh, people who read the newsletter and listen to this podcast. Um, This is an interesting thing, not really specific to SEO, but I know it applies to a lot of you. The FTC has a new ruling now that says that fake engagement is now illegal. Um, And so Bill Swalski tweeted about uh, this. uh, And the post that he tweeted basically says that um, the FTC has officially ruled that if you are selling followers or likes on social media or creating fake reviews, that this is illegal. Um, And so there are a lot of things in SEO, like, for example, buying links that are not, buying links is not illegal. It's usually not immoral. Um, We could debate, you know, it's usually not even unethical. 
but it's something that's against Google's terms of condition or terms of service and uh, not even terms of service. It's against Google's guides on link schemes and it could get you into trouble. But this is a bigger deal. Um, if you are buying followers and likes and reviews, then this is illegal. And so uh, I'm not a lawyer. I don't know what could happen, but we really, really need to be paying attention. And if you're doing that kind of thing, then I would say don't, <laughs> don't do it anymore. Um, and going along these lines, I'm going to mention Lily again. Lily Ray uh, did a really good uh, Twitter poll, and she said, Anonymous survey, have you or your company purchased backlinks of any quality for your own site or any of your clients' sites at any point in the past five years? So I fully expected the results of this tweet to be like 90% saying no. Um, and, uh, that was not the case. It was exactly 50, 50 with a thousand and 108 votes of people saying, yes, I've bought links or no, I haven't. I think, um, one of the issues with Twitter polls is that you can only put so many words in the description. Uh, and I didn't know how to answer this question because we have purchased links. Uh, we, I've mentioned this before. We have a link on search engine Roundtable um, that, uh, sells our services, uh, doing site reviews. And um, it's a no-followed link, so there's no reason not to do that. That's not against Google's guidelines. Uh, it's marked with Rel Equal Sponsor. Um, you know, it's totally legit. So we have purchased links, but we didn't purchase them to try to boost our SEO. Uh, so, you know, link selling... We still get the emails all the time. We still get the people saying for this many hundreds or thousands of dollars, I can connect you with a journalist who will mention you in Forbes or Inc. or something like that. Uh, I really believe Google is very good at determining which parts of Forbes are true mentions um, and which parts of sites like that are uh, purchased. Um, but for some people, it's probably still working. And on the same note, we're seeing an uptick in manual actions lately. So be careful. I would not recommend buying links uh, unless it's a website that you uh, are okay with it dying. Uh, because if you get a manual action and you've had a whole long history of buying links, it's sure a mess to clean up. Um, moving on, Microsoft announced that they're not going to support Flash in their browsers. Uh, we saw that Chrome uh, is saying this. Uh, let's see, Adobe announced, ooh, let's see here, in 2020, then uh, Microsoft is going to stop uh, supporting Flash. Really, if you have Flash on your website, you need to move on. Um, it's, uh, and I, I know I say that very lightly, I'm sure for some websites this is a massive thing, but it's not like it's going to come back again. So if you have parts of your website that thoroughly depend on uh, Google or other search engines being able to see Flash content, uh, that is not going to rank well in the future. Um, going on to local SEO, there is apparently a bug in Google Maps that can mess up uh, people getting to your website. So Bill Hartzer has an interesting post on this. We've linked to it from newsletter, um, where if you're using tracking parameters in your Google My Business website, uh, then it can somehow cause people who click through on those links to get a 404. Uh, I don't know all of the details in this. So if you are seeing a drop in uh, traffic that, you know, if you've been trying to track your traffic through parameters that comes from Google My Business and you're seeing a drop in that recently, uh, it might be that something is messed up here. So I would recommend that you take a look at that. I'm going to move on to some Q&A here because uh, we got some really good questions. If you want to ask a question uh, of me, uh, 
then uh, you can go to the newsletter and there's a link to a form that you can fill out. And uh, we try to answer as many of these as we can. Now, if you have a question that is a very basic SEO question, um, especially about a small business, then you can ask that on our uh, site that is in our Wix competition. Um, we've been, we had a really, really good question uh, just recently about uh, where to put... Um, I think I talked about it last week, event content, whether you should keep it all on the same page or each year create a new URL. So you can go back and listen to episode 105 for my answer to that. So here's one question. In your recent site checker interview, you said, quote, we often find that thin content is being discovered in Google's index coverage report, end quote. Using Search Console, how are you able to identify that this is thin content? So this is a really good question. What I had said in this interview, and I've said it a few times when uh, I've spoken at conferences, is that um, one of the things that we'll do in our site reviews is we'll look at the index coverage report in Search Console, and we'll look for URLs that are marked as uh, crawled but not indexed. I think it used to say discovered but not indexed, and now it says crawled but not indexed. Now, just because something is in there doesn't mean that it's necessarily thin content. So we pair that with uh, just a visual look at some of these posts. And often what we'll find is it's the same type of URL that appears. So for example, let's say your um, WordPress site is spitting out these individual pages for each image on your site and that these pages are indexed. They don't have a no index tag on them. So if we see that one of the pages in uh, the index coverage report that's marked as crawled but not indexed uh, actually is one of these index or image pages, then that's something that, you know, there's really no reason for us to clutter up Google's index with these pages. Um, we really feel that uh, we would like Google to focus on the high quality pages and there's no reason for them to be crawling all of this low quality stuff. And so those pages should be no indexed. Um, and, and so that we would use our, our brains basically to make a decision to say, all right, so this is not, Google has crawled it, but they've decided not to index it. Is it something that's valuable to users? Another thing that we'll often find is old blog posts. Now, just because a blog post is old doesn't mean that it is thin. If you published a blog post uh, eight years ago and it got tons of links and people were uh, engaging with it uh, and it was really helpful to people, but it gets no attention today, I would still leave that on your website because you've got links pointing to it. Um, there are signals that are in there. You've probably got internal links from that page to important pages that are still important to you today. Um, it depends on scale, though. I mean, if you ha were producing 100 posts every day and, uh, you know, you might want to go through and, and trim out some of that. Um, but those blog posts, so again, it's not like we would look at it and go, oh, Google said that uh, all blog posts are thin content. Rather, we'd look at the types of ones that are appearing in the index coverage report as crawled and not indexed. And we would say, uh, again, with our brains, we would go, um, well, as a reader, is this really a valuable page for me to have in the index? Or often what we'll find is we'll be like, uh, okay, this site has 
50 different articles on diabetes. And, um, you know, perhaps uh, the ones that are flagged in the index coverage report are like two paragraph articles. Um, and so maybe we should all consolidate these into one big article. Uh, and that's some of the decisions that we, we make. Um, we're actually in the process right now for one of our clients of uh getting a whole bunch of data, just looking at uh, how often a page is accessed, um, word count, although we would never base uh, thin content just based on word count, um, and putting together a number of different signals, uh, including internal links and uh, external links, to say, uh, is a piece of content actually valuable to people? Um, Who knows, maybe in the future we'll publish uh, our process on doing that, um, but not just yet. So let's see, one more question. Um, this question is a bit of a long one, but it's it's a good one. Hi, Marie. My question for you is how impactful do you think URL structure is on rankings? I'm referring to specifically flat versus hierarchical subfolder structure. I know a lot of SEOs have the opinion that less is more, but I feel that there is value to both the user and the search engine to understand how pages contextually relate to one another. And they go on to talk about... Um, if you have a blog on insurance, would it be better to have your site.com slash blog slash life insurance slash what is term life insurance or simply uh, what is term life insurance right off of the blog? So the question is, is that category, so in this case life insurance, something that really could help the site? So. This is something that I feel really strongly about. Um, We've done a lot of recommendations uh, for our clients on what we call hub and spoke structure. And uh, we've had a couple of clients implement this. One of them saw very, very nice gains after implementing this. Now, it's tough because we also gave them a document with, you know, usually our, our reviews are 150 pages of, uh, of, uh, of, of things that you can implement on your site. Um, but we really feel that the improvements this site saw were connected to improving their site structure. And basically what we did was have them figure out what are your main topics that you want to rank for. Um, And so what a lot of people do, and we're guilty of this on our own site, although it's going to be changing, is we have um, one of our categories is slash services. Well, nobody is Googling uh, SEO services to end up on our website, right? Services is not one of our keywords. Um, And so it would probably make more sense for our, our categories to be things like um, manual actions is one category. Um, use of uh, disavow is one category. Uh, algorithm updates could be one category. And then each of those has uh, should have a um, supporting spokes, uh, a whole bunch of supporting spokes. So let's say that algo updates, so most of you have seen our post. If you haven't, it's mariehaines.com slash A-L-G-O is a short link that'll get you there. And every time Google does something that we think is an algorithm update or something that could impact your traffic, we write about it there. So this post ranks relatively well, but it could do way better. And there's way more that we could be doing to improve this post. It's on the list of things that we will be doing. Um, and so eventually what we want to do is have one main hub that talks about everything you need to know about algorithm updates. Um, you know, and you would have a really, really good indication of, look, here's the recent algorithm updates. Here's all the stuff you need to know. And then each of the particular updates would be a spoke on uh, that 
points back to that hub. So if there was a minor update, like we said, October 21st of this year, we would write a page on this update and it would link back using keyword anchor text, uh, which probably would be Google algorithm updates, uh, back to our main post, our hub post on this. And the idea is that you're building up these hubs to tell Google and other search engines that you have a great amount of content that is on this topic. Uh, and so we had one client that did this. They were um, in a, it doesn't matter what niche they were in. Um, and we said, look, when we go to your website, it's confusing. As a user, if I want to look at stuff on this category, I have to search through like 100 blog posts to figure out where I can find this information. And so we had them uh, completely restructure their uh, URL structure and um, so that it was very clear that they had specific categories. The categories were easier for users to find. Um, everything that referenced that particular category, which was also their keywords, would link internally with keywords that that they wanted to rank for. And, um, and then uh, the rest of their content that wasn't specifically uh, for that category were all spoke content that linked back to the main categories. And uh, this site, I don't have it right in front of me right now, but they saw a very big increase. I want to say like maybe 70% in Google organic traffic um, within a few weeks of implementing this change. It's not an easy thing to do, um, but I definitely would recommend uh, working towards a hub and spoke model um, if you're considering changing your URL structure. Now, it's not something you do lightly because, um, you know, we see a lot of a lot of clients come to us because they've changed their URLs and messed things up. Uh, and so uh, you need to do it properly. Um, we're actually in the process right now. I'm actually going to be traveling a little bit less, which those of you who joke that uh, every time I travel, Google updates, that joke's not going to work so much uh, in the next few months or the year or so. Um, and I'm actually going to be working on uh, redoing our website. We're working with Kickpoint in Edmonton. Most of you probably know Dana DiTomaso, uh, and they've uh, they've already done some work for us on uh, improving our logo, improving our brand, and we're going to be completely restructuring our website um, and a number of other things. So that's really cool because as I learn stuff, I'll share that with you, and hopefully I'll be able to, to help you guys um, structure your web, your websites and, and everything that I learned that's new, because I, I don't claim to know everything in SEO. Uh, I'll try to pass on uh, what I can to you. Um, I think we'll end it there uh, for this episode. We have a lot more stuff in the actual newsletter as well. If you're new to listening to this, we have two versions of newsletter. One is completely free and it talks about just the um, Google announcements and the main things that, uh, you know, if you just haven't been caught up on Twitter or on Search Engine Roundtable or wherever you go for your uh, your news, you get it all there in, um, you know, in one publication. The paid version, which uh, at this point is $18 a month is something where uh, it also goes into more detail on tips and tricks and uh, things that um, uh, are worthwhile paying for. Um, and so in our newsletter, we've got, and I'm not sure which of these are paid and which are free, but uh, there's stuff on understanding server-side versus client-side rendering, which 
to me was like a whole mysterious topic. Uh, and my uh, one of my teammates, Alec, has written a really great post to help you understand the differences there. So I'd, I'd recommend that. Um, we're talking about how Google is now showing content from emails in uh, the search results, which is interesting. Um, and there's some stuff on how to handle redirects for international users. I believe that comes from Aleda Solis. So uh, we've written about that in newsletter as well. And very exciting news for us. We are hiring again. If you are in the Ottawa or Canada area, um, this is a, a, a local position. Uh, every time we say we're hiring, we have all these people that want to work with us remotely. Um, maybe in the future that might be an option, but right now uh, we're hiring um, for people to work in our office. The position right now uh, officially is termed as an intern position, uh, but we do want people uh, who we can train up and keep you here for a long, long time. Uh, we're doing some pretty exciting stuff at MHC, and so if you know anybody in this area, uh, mariehaines.com slash jobs is uh, worth looking at. Um, So with that, I'm going to end it. Uh, It's exciting times with what Google is doing. Um, Thank you so much for listening. I really, really appreciate whenever uh, you guys send me feedback that that I've been able to help you. So um, thank you for that. And I wish you the best of luck with rankings this week. Mm -hmm.